following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bibles this morning then at John uh, chapter 5. I mentioned last week how I wanted to continue on the theme that we've been on. The last uh, couple of times I've spoken, we've been speaking about the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And today I want to show you uh, why that's so important. So I'm going to read first of all just two verses from John chapter 5. You are familiar with these verses. This is verse 39 and verse 40. And there's something very powerful about these verses. This is Jesus <clears throat> speaking uh, to the Pharisees. And he always speaks with compassion. Even when Jesus is uh, reprimanding or exhorting, he's always speaking in love. That's the nature of God. He speaks in love. A good father, even when he's disciplining his children, he does it in love. So Jesus here, this is what he says to them. You study the Scriptures. This is John 5, 39. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I believe Jesus was saying that from studying the Scriptures, it's possible to have a knowledge about God but it's not possible to know God apart from the presence of God, apart from the presence of God. He was saying, come to me. Do you realize that if you could get saved simply by reading the Bible, Jesus wouldn't have actually given the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit and the Word. Jesus talking here about his presence. He was saying that eternal life is not knowing about God, but knowing God. And for that, you need me. You need the living presence of God. Now, the last two messages I shared, really, obviously, we spoke about this difference, about knowing someone and knowing about someone. And we've seen that it's possible to know about someone who is dead. Do you remember that? You can know about someone who is dead, but to know someone uh, in the way we know a living person, you need the presence of the person. We also pointed out that in John 17, 3, when Jesus spoke about eternal life, he defined eternal life by saying this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus himself defined eternal life as knowing in that sense. And so if knowing is only possible by being in the presence of the person, then we could say that eternal life is living in the presence of the person of God. Eternal life is living in the presence of of the person of God. It is being together with. You remember we spoke about that some months ago? God knows life as being together with. We said that God himself, uh, in that sense, uh, he'd never been alone. He's never had an individual self-life by himself. Uh, he's never been selfish. Could you believe that about God? He's never been selfish. He's never had a self-life. He's always been together with the Father and the Son, Jesus. So, Christ remained throughout his life, death, and resurrection what the Christian faith declares him to be. 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten of, made of one being with the Father. See, God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God remained that. What Paul said to the Corinthians remained true. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself right the way through his life, death, and resurrection. Death could not break that union of the Godhead between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or else God would have ceased to be God. Instead, God was stronger than sin and death. Union triumphed over separation. Life, being together with, was stronger than death. That's what we celebrate at the table. Life is stronger than death. As Pastor Ruby just said, when we were dead, he gave life. Life is stronger than death. If eternal life, being together with God, living in his presence, then if that's what eternal life is, can you see why Jesus always directed people to himself when he spoke about eternal life? That remained a stumbling block to almost everyone he met because in those days, and I'm going to show you today too, many people see eternal life as a goal, as a place you have to get to, not as a person to be with. Still today, the more you see righteousness as a state yourself apart from God can reach, the blinder you become to the presence of his righteousness freely given to you. Everywhere Jesus went, people were blind to who they were dealing with. And that remained the case until the Holy Spirit was poured out. From time to time, people got a glimpse, like Peter, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? But a second later, he said, Lord, you're never going to die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But when the Holy Spirit came, we can be in Christ and be being filled with the revelation of who God is all the time. Let me put this another way. Religion blinds people to the presence of God. That's a controversial thing to say, isn't it? I'll say it again. Religion blinds people to the presence of God. Now, when we say religion in this church, we're speaking about self, self-effort. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of religion, self-effort. Now, you as a Christian aren't into self-effort because you're no longer your self. Did we just hear that? Because your self died. You're no longer a self. You are in union with Christ. But that's why religion should have no truck with you, because religion is self-effort. How can I say religion blinds people to the presence of God? If many people in this nation are living as if God's presence is in heaven, but not here, then they're living as if God is dead. Here is the great danger of preaching a gospel that only talks about the presence of God as being in heaven one day. You leave people living today apart from the presence of God. Religion blinds people to the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, we read this scripture last week, it declares that Christ is righteousness from God. So for 33 years, the righteousness of God walked the streets of Israel. Yet all who were seeking to establish their own righteousness refused him. They refused the righteousness that came from God. And time and again, to all those who were seeking eternal life, Jesus directed him straight to himself. He said, you're looking for eternal life. You're looking in the wrong places. Come with me. Be with me. This is eternal life. 
It's being together with. This is a beautiful thing, you know. Eternal life. You know, we are living eternal life right now. For years, I believed that eternal life started when you died. For years, I lived apart from the revelation of the presence of God. Eternal life starts, praise God, when your eyes open to the presence of Christ and you receive the presence of Christ and receive eternal life. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently, thinking that by them you will have eternal life, but you won't come to me. God's answer to everything that ails you and I this morning is his presence. Can you say amen to that? His presence. His presence. It's still the case today. The presence of God is the answer to everything that ails us. And here's the good news. We have his presence. But religion blinds us to his presence. To what extent I am blind today to everything I have? And I can tell you to what extent. I only have to look at my soul. For as I'm feeling because of how I'm thinking. To what extent I'm blind to the presence of God with me today is the influence of religion still in my life today as a pastor. Influence of self, self-effort, the way I've been brought up. The answer to everything that ails us this morning is the presence of God. It's being together with Him. And religion says that the promise of being together with Him is for one day. One day, maybe, if you. And we call that good news. But the gospel says, the promise is, yes and amen in Christ today. Today, praise God. So Jesus' disciples, on all those who came before him, like the rich young ruler we, talk, we spoke about last week, they thought of eternal life as a place they would go one day, not as a person they can be with today. They thought that one day, on condition they'd lived a righteous enough life, on that day they would be with God. And everywhere in the Gospels yet, when people asked Jesus about eternal life, he never pointed to the sky. He always pointed to himself. Even outside Lazarus' tomb, do you remember that when Martha ran up to him and said, Oh, Lord, where were you? Anybody ever said that to the Lord? Where were you? Hello, where were you last Tuesday when I was having a bad day? Hello, Lord, where were you? You remember what Martha said? I believe my brother will one day, one day, in the by and by, in the resurrection, he'll rise. And what did Jesus say to her? Martha, I am that day. I am the resurrection. The presence of Jesus was the presence of eternal life. Now, this message, by the way, is called today. Today. You see, under an old covenant mindset, people are always trying to reach God. Have you noticed? But the new covenant mindset is the revelation that God reached you. God reached you. Come on, can you say yes? God reached us, praise God. When we were dead, God reached us. Under an old covenant mindset then, God's presence is always one day, but not today. <laughs> one day, but not today. Hope is always deferred. It's always put off. But the new covenant mindset says, today's the day. Today is the day. 
I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Believer, your hope is not that God would send his presence one day. Your hope is Christ in you today. If we weren't all so bound up in old covenant thinking, so blinded by religion, we would see many more manifestations of the power of the presence of God to heal, save, and deliver today. I love preaching the now of the gospel. The gospel is a now message. Religion is a one-day message. The gospel is a now message. Remember some time ago, I preached a message called, In Eternity, the time is always now. The time is always now. I believe the gospel has the power to unbind people, to unwrap those of us who, like Lazarus, wrapped up in his grave clothes, are already in the presence of God, but cannot see properly. Because old covenant thinking and teaching has so wrapped us up in natural thinking in ourselves that we cannot see that we are now in Christ, not in ourselves. You know, when the Apostle Paul preached the gospel to those of an old covenant mindset, that's his Jewish brothers, to those who were waiting on the Messiah, waiting for the presence of God, they were so stuck in waiting mode that they couldn't receive the now of the gospel, that God's presence was now, today, in their midst. They resisted that message. Not surprising, because everywhere Jesus went, especially in the synagogue, they resisted the now of the message. Jesus, too, found the greatest resistance to the now of the gospel among those who were waiting for the presence of God to come. You remember in the synagogue in Nazareth when he stood up and he said those beautiful words, today I am anointed of God, etc., etc., you know? And uh, he said those words and he, met, he really declared, now, today, now. And you know what they did? They dragged him out to throw him over a cliff within minutes of him daring to say, now. Whenever Paul got beaten up, it was normally the local old covenant, we've been waiting for the presence of God mob who were behind it. In city after city, the same thing happened. Those brought up in an old covenant, waiting for God mindset, the Jews tended to resist the message. Whereas those who had not been brought up under the law, the Gentiles tended towards being more open to the now of the gospel. Paul experienced that sometimes while he was still speaking, people got healed. They didn't even have the good manners to wait to the end of the message. They simply received in the moment. That's a beautiful thing. Now, I was thinking about that, and I want to show you something this morning about that. When Peter preached the gospel to Jews on the day of Pentecost, he got to the end of his sermon because he was speaking to people who'd been brought up all their lives waiting. And they didn't know any, anything else except how to wait. But when he preached to Gentiles in Cornelius' house, they started to receive by faith before he'd even finished his introduction. You need to see that. Turn to Acts 10 this morning. I want to show you one verse. Because in Acts 10, when I began to look at this, in Acts 10 is recorded the exact sermon that Peter was preaching when the Holy Spirit fell on that group. When they 
when there was a manifestation of the presence of God. We can read it, and you can read it from Acts 10, I think it's from verse 34, you can begin to read. But as you read what Peter was saying, when I looked at this, I saw that it only took him just over one minute to say what he was saying at that time. And then suddenly, there came a moment when the Holy Spirit manifested in power. He couldn't wait anymore. The appetite of the people for the presence of God and the desire of God to give His presence could not wait anymore. And it's very interesting that the very sentence, the very truth that Peter was speaking, at the moment the presence of God manifested as power to heal, to save, to deliver, that is carefully pointed out in Scripture with these words. It says there, as Peter was speaking these very words, words. So I thought, you know what, this morning, let's look and ask ourselves, what were the very words that Peter was speaking when the Holy Spirit could not contain himself any longer? Acts 10, verse 43. And here's a word for you this morning. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. He didn't say today, but the Holy Spirit did. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit said, Today! And the whole place was shaken from top to bottom. And people began to receive. And Peter could not finish his message. Because the Holy Spirit says, Today! Today! And to everybody religion that's still in you that says, No, 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 when I've got myself cleaned up. No! Today! Today! You can live in the presence of God. Today, you can be the person Michelle read out this morning. Today, you can say, all is well with my soul on your worst day. See, somebody who's not a Christian has to wait until things get better before they can start to rejoice. But today, in the worst day of your life, you can be in thanksgiving, overflowing with thanksgiving. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, Kathy, today. Today. Lorraine, today. Today. Michelle, today. It's the most powerful word to hear the Holy Spirit say. But here's the thing He says it every day. He says it every day. But your ears and my eyes have been blinded. By religion. One day, hundreds of people pressed around Jesus to hear a preacher from Nazareth, but one woman recognized the presence of God to heal. And she starts saying to herself, if I only touch him, if I only touch him, if I only touch him. See, the Holy Spirit was saying to her, today, today, today. When people begin to recognize the presence of God in their midst, the power of the presence of God begins to manifest. God forbid that we ever preach a gospel without a demonstration of power, but it's easily done, and here's how you do it. Here's how you put unbelief into people. Three ways to plant unbelief into a congregation. First, pre keep preaching a gospel that's always about one day, but never about today. 
keep preaching a message that's always about one day, but never about today. Because hope deferred makes the heart sick, and you will sicken the hearts of people, so that even on the day when he shows and they don't believe. Keep praying prayers that are about one day, but never today. Keep thinking of yourself as one day being in the presence of God, but never today. One of the great weaknesses of the modern church is that we've placed so much importance on what we've been saved from, but we say virtually nothing about what we've been saved to. We all know what we've been saved from. We've been saved from hell, from sin, and from death. But if you ask most Christians, what have they been saved to? The answer will probably be heaven. The problem with that is, heaven in our minds is not today. That's when I die. That's one day. Isn't that right? The church would have much more impact on this generation if we awoke to the truth that heaven may begin when you die, but eternal life begins the day you believe. What were we saved to? We were saved to eternal life, to knowing God, to living in His presence, speaking from His presence, that this generation would experience the presence of God through our lives. Too many gospel presentations present Jesus as an insurance policy for the next life. They go something like this. Brother, are you saved? Well, what do you mean? Well, if you die tonight, where would you go? You see, the power of the gospel is that it's not a message about one day when you die. It's a message about today. That's the power. It's today. Jesus did not just save us from hell. He saved us from sin, from separation from God, that we might today live in union with God, live in his presence. And this nation will be changed by a church not waiting for the presence of God, but a church manifesting as the very presence of God on the face of the earth. We are not an old covenant people. We are not a people waiting for the presence of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We have received his presence. We have received his Holy Spirit. We are today a people living in the anointing, living in the presence of God. We are today called to be the presence of God in this generation, not to wait for some other people <clears throat> or some other, <clears throat> excuse me, some other generation. We are today a people blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing today. We are today a people who pray differently to those who are waiting still for God's presence we are today a people who can pray as those who have received everything they need in Christ. We can today pray as a people who can say, it is well with my soul. We are not a people who pray that God's mind would be changed. We are a people who pray that our minds would be changed and the minds of this generation would be renewed to the truth and the reality of God, God's reality, which that all our needs have been met in Christ, in the presence of God, and the presence of God is here today. <clears throat> Whatever the sin in your life that you have believed is cause for God 
to withhold his presence from you, I declare to you the same gospel that Peter preached to the Gentiles. Of him all the prophets bear witness, that through his name everyone. Say to yourself, everyone who believes in his name will receive forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit says, today, today. Therefore, church, if you are a believer, don't pray as someone who's waiting for God to give one day. Pray as someone who has today already received in Christ all you will ever need to be the presence of God in this generation, even to your family. If you don't believe me, at least believe the words of Jesus. This is what he said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Oh, get your head around that. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have already received it, and it will be yours. <clears throat> so I declare that truth over this congregation this morning. You know, many of us have been praying for things and praying for stuff and praying about our family and praying for various issues in our life, and that's wonderful. But we need to pray as someone who has today already received in Christ everything that they will ever need. Whatever you asked for in prayer, believe now, today, that you have received what you asked for. Now, two things will happen. Either in believing that, you will see immediately a manifestation of what you have believed. And thank God for such manifestations. But very often I find in my life that if you receive the truth, if you receive what Jesus says, it will become in you a fountain springing up to eternal life. And this is the effect of that fountain. It will keep you. It will keep you through times where you can see no evidence in the natural that you've ever received anything that you've asked for. But that word will keep you. It will keep you. If you receive the word that Jesus gives, it will become in you a fountain feeding your spirit, keeping you peaceful, keeping you calm, keeping you confident, keeping you in peace, keeping you in rest. That everybody would look at you and say, I don't know how you can be in rest. I don't see that God's done anything for you. But you are confident of him whom you have committed everything to. Because his confidence is now in you by his Holy Spirit. You see, he's not, he's not disturbed. Remember when, when they came to Jesus and said, your friend Lazarus is nearly dead. You better get up off your knees and get over there. Jesus stayed there another few days. Why did he stay? Because the Holy Spirit in him stayed. He didn't feel he had to go. He listened to what the Spirit was saying. He was at peace about everything. And God wants us to know that peace and to have that peace in our lives. Whatever you have prayed for, believe that you have received it and you will receive it. God's Spirit will so convince you that you already have what you asked for that you will find in yourself supernatural patience. Does anybody want supernatural patience? Supernatural grace, that you can live as someone who has received what you've asked for. Remember, Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. Praise God. So when our eyes are opened to see the reality of the gospel, that we are now today hidden with Christ in God, then we can be who we claim to be as an apostolic church, a church established to honor Jesus as head of the church. You know, the greatest way of honoring him is not by waiting for his presence, but by being his presence. 
I'll say that again. The greatest way for the body to honor the head is to be the body connected to the head. As Brian shared this morning, be the head above the water. <laughs> be connected. Be connected. Be thee filled with the Holy Spirit. Be thee being filled with the Holy Spirit. How? By being receiving all the time. Living receiving. As you received him, so walk in him. As today, as I'm speaking these very words to you, we're eating and drinking Christ. That's what we're doing. That's why Jesus gave us these ordinances to help us to live that way. To live receiving. To live connected. To live be being filled with the presence of God. To live in that union with Christ. Does the body not honor the head best by being of one mind and so speaking the very words of the head today? Does the head not call his body me? Jesus did. Said to Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? Well, if Jesus calls his body me, then is the head not saying what he said in that synagogue on that day? Does he not still say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today. And they took him and tried to throw him over a cliff. Today. Today is the message that confronts unbelief head on. And Christ always did that. He loved people so much, he just spoke directly to them. Today. Today. For years, I believed that if only God would be good enough to send his presence to this nation, then this nation would change. And I understand that that sort of old covenant pre-cross thinking is not helping this nation at all. Rather, it has continually deferred, put off to a future date, the hope of this nation, Christ in our midst to some future date when we are either holier than we are now or are dead. And then we wonder why the hearts of many in this nation cannot believe in God. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Keep depriving people of Christ's presence with them, and you're depriving them of life, of being together with God. Don't then turn around and blame them for living self-lives, selfish lives, if we, the church, have never shown them what it is to live in union with Christ. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. We can only be the tree of life by abiding in the truth that we are the people whose dream has been fulfilled even today. Can you say amen? For years I believe that if only God would be good enough to send His presence to this nation, then this nation would change. I thank God that now, through His Holy Spirit and renewing my mind to the truth of the gospel, I know the truth. God is good enough. That's the gospel. God is is good enough. Let me tell you how good he is. He's so good, he has sent his presence to this nation. And I'm looking at his presence right now. His church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's Ephesians 1, 23. 
old covenant thinking still thinks of the head as separate from the body and speaks the language of separation. And the more you think that way, the blinder you become to Christ with you. If the head was separate from the body, then you and I would still be dead in our sins, dead in separation. God has not withheld his presence from us, but it's possible to be so busy trying to reach God that you cannot see that he has reached you. I'll say that again. It's possible to be so busy trying to reach God that you cannot see that he has reached you. Religion blinds people to Christ by always moving their hope of God's presence to some day in the future. All the promises of God, especially that of his presence with us, are yes and amen in Christ. Let me close by saying this, and we've said it before. Majority of people in this country, if you ask them, do they believe in God, they will say yes. Believe it or not. But if you ask them, do they know God, they will hesitate. Because they know instinctively that you only know someone who is living, who you can be in the presence of. And their own experience of God, religion, has never been based on being with Him today, but on working for Him so that one day when they die, they can be with Him. Their experience of God has never been founded on being right with Him, but rather on doing right for Him. That's all they've ever known. And so for many people in this nation, the foundation they received growing up in their church, whether it be Catholic or Protestant, was old covenants. They live as a people trying to do right for God. And when you live like that, your focus for life is not Christ, it's you. It's you. And that causes division. Religion says, do right for him, and one day you can be right with him. But listen to the gospel. It says this, he did right for you so that he can be right with you today. He did right for you so that he can be right with you today. This nation doesn't need people who will do more for God to earn his presence. It needs people who will believe that Christ did all that was necessary for us to live in God's presence, to know him, to have eternal life today. As a Christian, you and I are called not merely to live for God, we're called to live in God. We are called to be nothing short of the presence of God in this world. And when the church in each generation awakes to Christ in her midst, so does that generation. And I believe we have woken. I believe we have woken. And we are living in the midst of an awakening. Let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let me close with a final statement. The message that brings eternal life, that brings the presence of God to a nation, is the message that awakens the church to the presence of God in them today. And that message has not changed in 2,000 years. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone, everyone, everyone who believes on him receives the forgiveness of sins. That's everyone here today. Today. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I thank you for a simple word one word that sets captives free today. I thank you, Lord, that you always lived 
in today. Everywhere you went, when you stood before people, you were the answer today. And you are lifting our minds to think from your time, eternity. In eternity, the time is always today, now. And so I thank you, Lord, that each person here who have lived, as it were, even stillborn, always waiting for a better day, waiting for my family to get sorted out, waiting for the government to do this, waiting for the church to get sorted out, waiting, 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 I declare to you the Word of God today. Today, you can say, all is well with my soul. Today, you have received the answer to your prayer. Today, in Christ, all is well. So live in that day. Live in the eternal today. Live in Christ. That this nation would see and experience the presence of God in their midst today. We declare this in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord.